There are no good schools without good principles. It just doesn't exist. And where you have good principles, great teachers come and they stay. They work hard and they grow. That is a, a quote from former U.S. Secretary of Education, Mr. Duncan. Uh, good evening, good morning, good day, wherever you are. This is episode six. I am your host, Stephen King II. You can call me Stephen, and I'll shoot over to my new co-host. Hi, my name is Patrick Joyner. And we are here today with the new principal of Jack Lowe and Sam Tasby International Academy, something like that, name, work in progress, Miss Sandra Barrios. Hello. Hello. How are you? Well, we're doing good. How are you? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, again, it's summer. I said it. How has your summer been though? Okay. You know, principals get shorter summers. Yeah. Well, summer's been really, really busy. Um, We had a whole uh, trip planned to Florida with my family. And then uh, the last week when we were in school, my dad got diagnosed with cancer. So we canceled everything and uh, we've just been rushing around going to different appointments. But I am just really, really grateful that I've been able to spend these two weeks being able to go with him to different appointments without having to like go to work and try to balance both. So I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful to be with my dad. We'll be sure to say prayers for him. We're sorry to hear about that. What part of Florida were y'all going to go to? We were going to go to Pensacola, but yeah, we'll we'll eventually get there. <laughs> Should try Destinus better and less college kids. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So just going to hop right into this. Why did you accept this role as a new K-8 principal? <laughs> That's so funny. Out of all the questions, that was probably the most difficult one that I looked at. Um, <laughs> truthfully, uh, when Dr. Hinojosa asks you to do something, you do it. Dr. Hinojosa did approach me individually and um, asked me if I would be willing to take on the project. And honestly, I love challenges. It is something that I feel... Um, I feel really good growing. I feel really good being uncomfortable. I think it's just a natural part of life. And for me, I knew that this would be something that would get me to understand school at a different level. Um, So I decided that it was worth the challenge. And um, honestly, my heart is in Vickery Meadow. I don't know that I would have done it had it been any other school. But being that it was Sam Tasby, uh, that the neighborhood is really dear to me. I wanted to change a community. That was always a goal. And so I feel like this is really kind of leading to that. For those of us who aren't in the district, could you tell us who Dr. Hinojosa is? Yes. So the Dr. Hinojosa is the superintendent of Dallas ISD. Uh, He's been a superintendent now for 13 years um, in in, in different stunts in different um, areas. But Dr. Hinojosa... He's just a mentor to me, honestly. I was really excited to come over to Dallas ISD because it was the very first district I ever worked at that had a Hispanic superintendent. And for me, it was really important to see people like me in leadership positions. Uh, I taught in Garland ISD, and so that was very different. And in most districts, you know, suburban districts do not have a lot of minority in uh, in leadership. So for me, that was really, really exciting. Awesome. I will say... Victory Meadow captured my heart since my first year teaching, and that's why I am still there today, because I I love that neighborhood. I love our students, and it's just amazing. I'm working with them this summer still, too, with Eagle Scholars. I just, I can't help myself. I don't know why. All right, so now that you're going to be taking over, uh, I want to go into, because one day I do hope to be a principal. Uh, that is my uh, long-term goal. So I want to I pick your brain a little bit on types of teachers that you like at your campus. I'm going to be honest, I'm not looking for generic hard workers or anything like that. Like really, what type of teachers um, do you want to surround yourself with at your campus? Good question. So my typical interviews for teacher positions are not the typical. I don't ask, you know, what your area of expertise is. I don't ask about your teaching strategies because I believe I can teach anybody teaching strategies, and I believe anybody can look up a good answer to, you know, why would I be a good teacher? I am looking for teachers with heart, and it has to be, and and here's the deal. Everybody went into education because they have a heart, but they have to have a heart for the population of students that we work with. So in our particular case, we work with a lot of refugees. We work with a lot of immigrant students. We work with a lot of minorities. So I look for teachers that can relate to our students on some level. 
I look for teachers that have been through hardships in life and have come out on the other end. I will often ask, you know, tell me about yourself. And I always look at what it is that you choose to tell me about. If you choose to tell me about, you know, your personal life, that tells me that you, you know, you value that. Whatever people tell you when you ask them that question, I mean, it can go any way. So it tells you so much about those people. But I'm looking for people that have a heart, that have grit. I'm looking for people with passion and positivity. I, especially in the past two years, I have learned how hard it is to find positivity (laughs) and surround yourself in it. So I want to be surrounded by people that make me happy, that make me smile, and that make me feel better, that are going to be my support group too. So probably one of my biggest um, pet peeves is like, I hate hearing that admins on one side and teachers are on the other because I consider myself a teacher at heart. When I came into administration, I actually got my degree probably about five years in, and it wasn't for another five years that I decided to be a principal because I wanted to be a really good teacher before I decided to be a principal. So I stayed in the classroom for approximately, I think it was 10 to 12 years before I took on a principalship because to me, the, the teachers are the most important part of this education system, period. Without teachers, we have nothing. Without kids, we have nothing. But without the teachers in um, filling those seats, then it doesn't matter you know, what, what you have. Uh, the teachers need to always come first. So I've always really prided myself on being a teacher's principal and just never forgetting where you come from. So I guess to answer your question, um, I look for grit, determination, positivity, um, somebody that doesn't want to give up on our kids and somebody that can relate to our children. And if I can throw just one admin thing in there, classroom management. (laughs) I need somebody that can manage a classroom. (laughs) Hey, look, 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 I'm going to, I need, I need teachers who can manage their own classrooms. I'm just, I'm going to be honest. Getting tired of being called in. Hey, Mrs. Joy, can you please come talk to them? Okay. Uh Yes, oh, I need teachers to manage their own classrooms. It'd be nice. It'd be nice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. For me, classroom management is, I think, is the most important thing to me because I feel like I can teach anything if I can get the classroom in check. Like, like you said earlier about researching the right question for an interview or why you want to be a teacher, or whatever. I feel like I can research how to teach any subject. There's plenty of resources out there. But managing a classroom, I feel like, I mean, obviously, if you can't do that, you can't teach anything. And right. Yeah. And so yeah, I absolutely. Take, I take pride in my ability to manage classrooms. I got thrown into the fire as a teacher. Like, I love Teach for America, but there's no way for them to really prepare us for what we're going to walk into. So that first week um, of actual teaching, I just made sure to make have my classroom under control because I was learning my subject as I was teaching the kids because I'm not from Texas. So I had to learn Texas history as I taught it. So, but I made it work because again, I made sure to have good control over my classroom, had a good fun environment and allowed us all to be successful that first year. But I I would say like the type of classroom matters too, right? Because, you know, a silent classroom doesn't necessarily mean a productive classroom Mm -hmm. or one that learning is occurring, right? Oh yeah, I agree. I agree. You don't want to run a little prison cell. No, I think that every classroom adapts to the teacher's personality, you know, and it should be something that works for you. But um, I think that there's a fine line between students being respectful and then taking advantage. Right. You know, so there's a fine line there and um, you've got to be able to balance both. But I know that by the end of the school year, my kids turn into mini me's, you know, that they act just like me. They talk just like me. And, you know, in the beginning, they they hated me because I was so strict on them. But it was just like starting off, you know, setting a tone and then releasing as I went through the year. No, I, I do agree. And I like it when like my goal is always to have like when my kids move up, I want the teachers to know who they had as a teacher. Like, oh, you come from Mr. King. OK, I understand. So, this kid's good. That's, that's always my goal. Yeah. So with the type of teachers that you like, how do you plan to go about handling the or combating the high teacher turnover rates that has been plaguing us? Like, we know what type of teachers you want. Now, how do you make sure those teachers stay? Because that list is always larger than they tell us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Well, you know, that that's been really hard. Usually I have lines of teachers. I usually don't have vacancies. I have people that are asking me probably about November uh, if I have a vacancy, you know, can they come in and interview? So I usually start interviewing for Jack Lowe anyways. As soon as I get somebody that's interested, I interview them on the spot. And then as soon as a position comes open, I have somebody in mind already. So I hardly ever have vacancies. If it is, it's usually a promotion or somebody that's like moving away to like Austin, Texas or something completely different. But even this year with me, you know, I, I had vacancies this year and um, I have them all filled, but I think a lot of it just goes back down to the relationships that you build with people and being supportive. People want to be where they are treated well. And I don't mean a, a lot of people think that culture is uh, pizza and cookies. It's not. <laughs> culture is not about bringing in goodies. It's not about free jeans day. It's, it's none of that. Okay. Like I'm offended that people even do that. For me, it's about how do you support a teacher truthfully? How do you support them in their learning? How do you support them in their growth? How do you also give them back accountability? You know, we're all accountable. I don't believe that anybody wakes up and says like, I want to do the worst job possible today. No, I think all of us wake up with good intent I believe that everybody wakes up and, and wants to do well. So my job is to figure out how to help teachers be the best versions of themselves. And so I think that when it comes to retaining teachers and attracting teachers, it also goes back down to you know the reputation of administration, sadly, and it's true. But a lot of people come to work for you because they know that you're going to grow them. They know the results the school has, they know the culture. Uh, usually I get people that are recommended by other teachers. Hardly ever is there a position that I'm filling just because they randomly got selected. So I, I intend to basically start now. I'm going to start now. I start building my little black book. And then eventually as the year goes, if need be, I'm going to call on it. I also form, you know, relationships with Texas Tech, with um, Teach for America. And just side note, no program prepares you for what's really in the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. No program does. <laughs> no, um, yeah, there is yeah. not enough theory out there. It's just a whole different ball game in the classroom. But no, usually I have um, casting calls and casting calls begin like I usually do like two in the fall, two in the spring. And we talk about what we believe in. And, and, and a, a big part of this is just creating a team that has the same vision and mission as you. I think vision and mission are usually just a part of something that is overlooked. And I think that people fail to see that if you have a team that is working towards the same mission and has the same vision together, that is how you effectively build a school. You, you have to be able to, you, you got to be able to want to put in the work. You got to get everybody on the same page. You've got to get people that have strengths in different areas. And, and I think that that all comes back to teacher retention because you're a part of something so big. You want to stay because you believe in it. So I, again, I said, I look for teachers that have a heart. I think it's the same way that I, I, I try to lead anyways. I try to lead with heart and just create something that's so big that it's bigger than any of us and have people really understand um, what it is to be a part of something so huge. I like that. <laughs> Love to work at your school. Good, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm telling you, uh, when we first, all right, so when we first met Ms. Barrios, Patrick, like, mm -hmm. we first, the first time was we were in a cafeteria, in Jack Lowe's cafeteria, there's a big old powwow. And there was nice things said, but I was really sold when we had, it was just our content. It was like, it was me, my social studies team, and then a couple of, um, I think the orchestra and some more elective teachers were in a smaller room. She started talking to us about her vision and expectations. And she hit on uh, what I thought was huge was a welcoming environment for the students, you know, having a campus that looks like a welcoming environment, so on and so forth. I heard that and I was just like, uh, you know, I'm not a, like, but I'm not a, but see, so I like that. I'm not a big decorator, but I have height and I have muscles so I can put things up and everything. I like things look pretty. I just don't have the mind to make it look pretty. Right. Someone has the vision. I can help make it, I can put it, put it together. Just got to help me out. Right. This year I struggled on that a bit because 
they kept asking me, hey, King, what do you think we should do in this part? Like, look, I don't know. You you tell me what you want and I'll make it happen. But don't ask me about decorating. That's why I got married. So I don't have to decorate. Awesome, man. That's awesome. It's too much of me. But no. Yeah. So, yeah. Too bad. I mean, but you're going to Japan. So, you know, you're going yeah. to this spot. So. Yeah. Can't really complain. Looking at the type of teachers you want, how do you feel about uh, what steps do you take to turn your teachers into future leaders? Uh, how do you go about that approach? Because, you know, I won't say all teachers are going to move up, but there's some who want, who have that vision of moving up the ladder eventually. So how do you handle that? A teacher comes to you and be like, hey, you know, I'm going to become a principal in a few years. I want to do this and that. And so how do you set them up for uh, that future position? So I think it's really dangerous when people tell me that they want a promotion or what they like plan to do because, um, and I think the Jack Lowe staff will tell you, I am big on letting people like come in and do the work. So oftentimes when I am off campus, I'll get like different teachers and whatnot to be principal for a day um, and just really experience the whole deal. I'm like, here you go. Here's the keys. Good luck to you. And <laughs> you know, call me if you need anything. If the building's on fire, go get you know, call me. But I mean, I think that we need to be realistic about our approach and and like really kind of focus on giving people the opportunities to experience what they're going to really do in that uh, particular job. So if I know that you want to be a principal, I'm going to have you come in and, and do like principal for a day, or I'm going to have you come in and do like a lot of, a lot of principaling is actually dealing with the community and the partnerships and, and the teachers and whatnot. So I really want to work on developing your people skills. So I'm going to give you tasks that are assigned to grow you in those specific areas. If I know somebody wants to be an instructional coach, then I'll look at that perspective and, you know, what is it? Do I need to send them to trainings? Do I need to send them to, you know, whatever it is, but I want you to number one, if we don't grow our own education is going to become nothing. There will be no principles left. There will be no superintendents. There will be no teachers. There will, I mean, it's going to end if we don't do something drastic now. So I think that, um, creating pipelines to make sure that our teachers are growing in the areas that they want to develop in is is key. And so that's what I try to do is just make sure that people are growing in those areas. So when you interview or I'm like, Hey, add that to your resume, that's going to be big, you know, but oh my gosh, there's so much to do in administration. I am glad to pass that work around any day of the week. So too bad, Mr. King, you kind of let me know something and I, I, you know, going to take full advantage of that now. Oh, I'm not, I'm not afraid. I spoke about this in an earlier episode. I knew I was supposed to be a teacher a long time ago. And I knew education was my calling. I tried to push back against the calling because I thought I was going to do something else. But I, I already knew a long time ago that this was this was it. So I'm not I'm not worried about challenges. Good. Actually, you brought up so you brought about up about admin and Patrick had a good question that he added on here that I would like for him to ask you. Okay. So what's one part of being a principal that teachers don't think about? And then what's one that parents don't think? Oh gosh, there's so much. Here's the deal. If you're doing it well, your teachers don't know what's actually happening. There's so many problems that we deal with in the office so that those, well, let me go back and say my philosophy on teaching and administration is that I have my job and you have yours. We come together for the good of the students, but I want to do everything to ensure that my teachers are able to teach. Because that is their job. That is my high leverage um, activity for the teacher. I don't need my teacher spending time filling out paperwork. I don't need them going to endless meetings. I don't need them attending stuff that they don't need to be a part of or just giving them like more to do. So with all that being said, somebody's got to do it. You know, those things don't just disappear. Not just because I didn't want my teachers to do it. Now nobody has to do it. No, somebody's got to do it. That person's going to be me. Some things that teachers don't know about administration. I think, I don't think that people realize, and teachers and parents, how much we are actually middle management and not the ultimate leadership. A lot of people do not realize that when admin doesn't tell you something, it's because we ourselves have not been told. 
we are just as frustrated as you are when we hear about something on the news rather than why didn't you call me in and let me know about it? You know, so a lot of the times we're delivering messages. We're not necessarily the makers of the decisions that have been said, but you know, ultimately it's super important that you work for an organization that you believe in. And again, it goes back to the vision and mission. Do you work for an organization in which you believe in which you believe in, you know? So when there are times that I do have to deliver like hard messages, I have to be able to figure out how it impacts me and my staff and my students and my community so that it makes sense. But a lot of the times we're middle management there. Yes, there are certain things we, we do have control over, but you'd be surprised at how much we don't. And so when those we don't happen, you have to be able to leverage, you know, what like you've got to be able to tailor it so it makes sense to your school. Well, you know, one of the biggest things I'll give you an example was whenever we rolled out aggressive monitoring. Do y'all remember that? Were you in yeah. Dallas for that? Oh, yeah, okay. I was. Okay, well, aggressive monitoring is um, Bambrick's uh, way of like making sure that I guess that all students are learning and it's supposed to produce like really great results, right? The problem with that is that Again, I am a teacher at heart. I don't believe that two students learn in the exact same way. It, I just don't believe it. And so therefore, it's very hard to tailor one teaching strategy or method and say that this is going to work for all students. I mean, in fact, I believe in it so much that I made my school become a personalized learning campus so that we could personalize the education to every child. So it was really tough to roll it out after I had just preached to my whole entire campus that personalizing education was way better. So I had to come back and figure out a way that I was going to say, okay, we're going to be compliant. Like we're, we're going to do what is being asked, but we're going to put a twist on it to make it our own. And then that was kind of like the compromise, you know, you've got to compromise on, on, on some things. And, and yeah, I mean, we, we, we made it work. We figured it out. I can't say that we do it, you know, religiously, we do it when we need it. So I don't know. Yeah, Patrick, you probably had something similar, but we would walk around with a clipboard in a, a set path that we created based off of scores. And we would give like the little students a little mark on how much they were progressing on said in the independent work. Ooh. It was atrocious. I no, have that in Georgia. We have that. Oh, you do? No, no, oh, no. Yeah, see, no, no. Yeah, it was just one of those things like when they told us about it, we all looked at each other like, huh? I mean, okay. I think that was introduced in my, I was still a new teacher though, but I even, even though I was brand new, I was still like, ugh, like, yeah. this, this doesn't even sound right. Like, Eyebrows go up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was one of those things was like, yes, we're going to comply with it and everything. So someone comes in, we are doing our laps. But it's just one of those things because they want us to plan for, like, we know, obviously, when you're teaching everything, you got to be able to make adjustments on the fly. Mm-hmm. Like, aggressive monitoring had things like, it's going to be this way, and this right. is when you're going to do it. And it's like, oh, I don't know, because some days, some things hit different. That's a plan for the suggestion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, was, it was crazy. Yeah, that's why we had to personalize it to ourselves and make it work. I mean, just as an instructional leader and as a teacher, you know, I'm not saying that the program is bad. I'm sure that it works under certain circumstances and under certain things, it's really great. But do I believe that that's the way that teachers should teach every single day of the week? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It took away away a lot of flexibility that we could have, actually. Because mm-hmm. oh my goodness! Especially if you're it's talking funny. about students that are as literally as diverse as the, the body that you have, who have experienced stressors across a wide variety of things. Like, yeah, you can't have a one thing reaches all. You kind of do have to be flexible. Yeah, and that, I'm glad. Uh, Ms. Barrios mentioned the personalized learning and also personalized teaching. Because she mentioned that to us also. Mm-hmm. Because one thing that I like I like being able to I like the idea of personalized learning and I like being able to teach the way that I teach and then obviously if it's not working then obviously come in and tell me what I can fix and give me suggestions and everything but at least give me the chance to try this and see if I can do this I'm all about that uh, I do have a question about personalized learning mm-hmm. but how do you see that working for 
middle school teachers with bigger classes. And I say bigger classes, I think about social studies and science when we have uh, more students than the average um, teacher mm-hmm. uh, of other content areas. So I would never ask anybody to do anything that I haven't done myself. Um, and, and I will tell you again, like my teachers now run laps around me, but I guess I stumbled on personalized learning. And when I, when I first started it, and I'll tell you, like personalized learning means that we are personalizing education to meet the needs of the children. And it's not so much about academics as much as it is about getting to know the child and building a relationship with the family and, and working towards goals. You know, what we're really trying to do is develop student agency. And in developing student agency, the ultimate goal is that we are going to have students that are going to advocate for their own education, that they're going to leave us and that they're going to know how to advocate for themselves. Okay. But all that to say, I stumbled upon that because I had a classroom of fifth graders. It was 27 students. And I mean, to teach 27 fifth graders, all, and I was self-contained. So I taught all subjects by myself. It was just me, you know. It was really, really difficult because they were just all over the place in their learning levels. So it went back to good classroom management. I, I had a really great relationship with my kids. They also knew my expectations very well. So the way it came about was really what I call differentiated learning or differentiated learning stations. So I created three groups, and that is what is currently the, the station rotation model. I created three groups, and I'm not even going to lie to you. Like, this is the way my thought process worked. If I can have it, like, I think it, it, it was it was 27 of them, so nine, right? Nine per group. I had nine of them on computers. <laughs> and I and I think we did iStation because I never had a change of lesson plan for that. So I didn't <laughs> want to do a lot of work. So I was like, okay, we're going to do an iStation you know, one group's going to do iStation. And then my lesson plan, the way that I saw it is I had whole group instruction and then I had independent practice, right? So my independent practice, that was another station. So I just carved out a little space in my classroom and put nine desks together. So that would be the independent station. And then my whole group lesson, I taught it at my table with nine kids. So it wasn't so much about how many kids I could have done it with 12 kids per lesson. It's about making sure that you have the classroom management skills to make sure that those transitions are happening. Now, did it take practice? Heck yeah. Did the kids just, you know, a transition without problems? No, they gave me crap. You know, they, they were loud. They were, but I made them stop and start over. They will only go as far as you let them. You know, so I had to stop and redirect and stop. Nope, we're going to start over. Nope, we're going to start over. And until they understood that I was serious, you know, so once we got the transitions down, then it was easy. Then it was just, it it was honestly no different than creating my regular lesson plan. It's just that the way that I was giving it was different. So in, in a regular lesson plan, I would do whole group, independent practice, technology those were required, right? So I just broke down the way that I taught them and I taught them in in, in different um, stations, but it really just came down to classroom management. So how do I see that going down in middle school? I think it comes back down to the same thing again. Like we've got to really make sure that classroom management is going to be, you know, doable. One thing about classroom management is I think once my teachers understood this, it was really kind of life-changing. The minute that you call somebody else to take over your classroom or to take a kid out, you have forever lost control of that child and that classroom forever and ever and ever and ever, period. So that is a problem. If the kids see you constantly calling somebody to come get a kid, then you know what you just taught your class? That you can't control them. So now they're going to come in and they're going to do everything because guess what? You're just going to call somebody to come get them, you know? And so we've got to work on really, really strengthening classroom management. And like, I am not one, like, if you're going to come to the office, I'm going to make your life miserable because that means that my teacher has done everything in their power and you were still acting that way. So we're not going to 
go back to class and give you a treat or, you know, whatever, which by the way, the last week of school, the last, you know, this year we went further, we went way longer. We went to like June 24th, I believe. 24th. Yeah. Yeah. So I like, I think after June, we came back from that June holiday and I told my teachers in in a meeting, I was like, Hey guys, by the way, if you send a kid to me right now, I'm going to go back and I'm going to give them a treat just so that you know that I'm doing this on purpose to piss you off, you know? Um, <laughs> so everybody knew, like, you got to deal with your kids. You can't stop teaching now because I'm just going to, you know, Barry's only going to make it worse right now. But no, I think that um, it really does come down to how you manage kids and just understanding that, that once you open the door up to that, then you're losing all your power and you're never going to get it back. So figuring out how to work with teachers to make sure that the power stays with them, you know, and that the kids see them as adult authority figures. You know, I see a lot of teachers trying to be friends with the kids and that's where the problem starts. You know, you can't like, you've got to understand that you're the adult and they're the child. Yes, they're older. And I think that our, our hearts want to go there, but children need structure, you know, in our particular neighborhood, kids don't have a constant schedule once they go home. You don't have kids that like, know they're going to get a snack and then they're going to eat dinner. And then they're going to like, that doesn't happen. Our kids are usually parents when they get home. So the time that they're in school, that is the only thing that is reliable for them. So I think it becomes really, really important that teachers develop structures where the kids come in they know that you're going to ask them at eight o'clock, you're going to ask them for this and you're going to go through your lesson and then you're going to do this. And then you're going to, they, they need predictability. You know, as, as an adult myself, I thrive on routine. If somebody breaks my routine in the morning, <laughs> I just have a really, really hard time with it. So in the same sense, I think whenever kids are in school, you've got to do the same, you know, you've got to make sure that they, um, that they have a routine that you, that they know what, uh, what they are expected to do. And that if there's going to be a consequence, you better follow through on it. You can never not follow through on a consequence and it can be both positive or negative. Like I always tell them, you know, there's consequences for everything that you do in life, period. And it's either going to be something positive or something negative, depending on what the situation is, but the choice is yours. So really trying to get that across. That follow through on consequences. Holy goodness gracious. I would be sometimes sitting in the class and my class, I hear a teacher say something like, you stop it, do this, and this is going to happen. And then a couple minutes go by and they'll say it again. And they'll all look at me and I'm just like, look, y'all know how I roll. So I can't speak on what they're doing. I heard it over and over again. And I'm trying to keep my composure and my students can hear it. And I'm just like, I 100% agree about consequences, positive and negative, but just keeping your word and making sure you follow through, I think. Oh, you made me stop and think on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to, that's like, I'm actually looking forward to the change also coming up with me going down to sixth grade to try to get them when they first come in instead yeah. of as seventh graders where That was a big thing that I advocated for because I think that the buck needs to stop in sixth grade. If you don't, if you, if you do not have teachers that are enforcing, you know, management, then what's going to happen in seventh and eighth, they're going to get worse and worse. Yeah. But like, you know, it's kind of like in elementary school, you get the behavior in pre-K and kindergarten or else good luck. Good luck to you, you know, because the kids, you know, kids are smart, you know, and, and again, like, I don't want to sound like I want a military school. That's not what I want. I want real relationships built with kids. But I think that children also really thrive on having structures, having routines, having, you know, knowing what's coming and then, and then knowing that they're going to be, um, I think that they need to know that you love them. Love doesn't look just like, let me give you a hug and pat you on the back and everybody gets a trophy. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in everybody gets a trophy. I, you know, I, I think that, Ron Clark says it all the time, but we are, um, we are creating a, a, a wussified uh, culture, you know, because we keep giving everybody trophies because we keep patting everybody on the back. And, and that's just not real life, you know, as I, I'm very big on this. Don't ever come teach for me because you feel sorry for my kids. You feel sorry for my kids. I don't want you. I don't want you to come teach for me because 
what our kids need is somebody that sees them for who they are and know what the real world is going to, you know, bring at them. So we've got to have teachers that are willing to, you know, be the super strict ones or be the ones that like teach them how to get through life, not just peace and love and hug on them and and whatnot, because reality is life isn't that, you know, and and our kids are going to face severe consequences more than probably any other population. So how to, how to deal with the loss. Hey, you got an F. What did you do wrong? Let's learn from it. Make sure you don't do it again. That kind of stuff. Right. Right. Really dig into those relationships. So one thing I like to do when I start building relationships, I let them know about my, my elementary middle school journey up front. Like, so they know that having to deal with loss, separation, so on and so forth. I let that all out in the beginning. So they know that, you know, difficult situations are out there, but you can overcome them. But I like to, I like to do that. I feel like sometimes, and I spoke about this, I forgot where I spoke about this, or maybe I wrote it down. But I feel like sometimes teachers don't share. I mean, I understand having a separation. There, there should be boundaries and everything. But I sometimes I think teachers take that too far so they're not relatable to the students. And it's hard for the students to buy in to the teacher if they don't see that teacher as a person and just as a figure who's there in front of them. Kids are not going to work for anybody that they don't like. I'm hope, I'm having hope for next year. Uh, I feel like some of the things I said to teachers fell on deaf ears, but I'm more hopeful this year um, we can have some real change. And I'm actually looking forward to the subject also because world cultures just feels more exciting than Texas history, if I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah. I'm over Texas history. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So, yeah, what are uh, two parts of your job as a principal that you enjoy and then one part that you don't enjoy so much? Oh, that's easy. I love the kids and I love the teachers. I love kids and I love teachers. That is the best part of this job. The kids give you energy and the teachers, you know, give you hope. You know, there's, there's real hope out there and then, you know, just seeing it all come together. One thing I don't like about this is how much politics that there are, there is in this, you know, and it feels like education is being, you know, completely run over by politics right now. So much higher than even district level. I mean, there, the state has turned, I feel like education into a, you know, into a political battlefield. Um, and a lot of people are running on on what they are think, thinking teachers do, and it's not right. So that that's the part that I hate about it. Do you see any way to like get around that? Or is that just something that, hey man, we just got to be open? So I, I just think that number one, we all need to be responsible and get out there and vote. We've got to make sure that we are voting and that we are encouraging people to do that on on the day that, you know, elections come, because especially this upcoming election, you know, for um, governors, it's going to be huge. People have to vote. You know, I don't care which way you vote, just make sure that you do. And then number two, a lot of the things that are put out there, I don't feel are correct. For example, the whole critical theory. Well, schools don't teach critical theory, period. You know, but I am allowed to teach certain things, you know, So I think like really educating yourself and, you know, uh, for me, it's when we had the whole critical theory thing come up, like I had a whole session for my teachers on, listen to me, this is what this really means. And this is what, like, you don't have to worry about this because we don't teach critical race theory. We teach history, you know, we teach certain events, you know, but uh, I, I just really think that we need to educate ourselves on what those rules really mean and not just let um, let the general public or the media fire us up because I don't know. I feel like, I, I don't know. I feel like the media really took this one by storm and the politicians really did a good job in like trying to scare teachers and scare teachers away from teaching. And it's just really sad to me this that our profession needs help we need resuscitation right now my hope is that we are going to see a lot of change through the election when we had the whole the crt uh craze that was going on we would, we would be in our plcs and we'd be like 
we look at each other like, well, we still got to teach what we got to teach. You know, uh, Civil War and Reconstruction is coming up. So uh, guess what we're going to teach? And so that's one, and that's what I liked about being a history teacher because while it was all going on, I'm still thinking, well, you can't really stop me from teaching history no matter Absolutely. how to word it. So yeah. I say, yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but slavery happened. It, <laughs> it did happen. You Real cannot theory. just wipe it away. Yeah, you know, you tough. cannot say that people were cho- or like, what was it that they were choosing not to go or something or misplaced? Uh, no, it was called slavery. Stop it. Yeah. You know, there's something where I think this was Texas, where in a textbook, it said something to the effect of Native Americans migrated to like Oregon. Like it was a personal choice yeah. as opposed to being forced. Yes. Oh, I don't I, I yes. didn't see that. But I guess it was. Um, I will never. I would never teach that in my classroom. No. The um, I remember that. The, yeah, when CRT was the big rage last year, I wasn't. I mean, I'm concerned because general public didn't really understand what it was. But as a teacher, I wasn't concerned because I wasn't going to change what I was going to do inside the classroom. Right. Mm-hmm. And and the day they told me I can't teach history is the day that I go teach math. And also having a principal that you know will back you up, folks. And I do have a principal that's going to back me up. I didn't have that. My principal threw me to the wolves. He ain't there no more, though. He got fired. So (laughs) that's what happens when you throw your teachers to the wolves. Well, so I'm glad you actually kind of answered the other question about how do you handle the politics of the job. I know there's one thing I do worry about is taking that step of becoming then stepping up into school leadership is that the higher you go, the more politics you got to deal with. I know it's part of the job, something I got to mentally prepare myself for, for when that time comes. I know I'm not ready yet because I have to learn that tact and everything that I don't fully have yet, Um, but we'll get there, you know, in a few more years. So thank you for being vulnerable with us and sharing your frustrations with that. Greatly appreciate it. You know, that, that was a really difficult thing. I I have a lot of opinions and they're strong ones. And so that was probably one of the hardest things going into administration is learning, learning when to speak up. Because what I've learned, I guess, over time is that you have to be able to fight the fight. Now, Dr. Inahosa always says this job, you've got to do you. But understand that it's not about you. So you always do you. Like when you see something that is right or something that, you know, that, that something that is wrong, that you know needs to change, that you know in your heart. So the, the question then becomes is if I go and just open my mouth like I normally would, because that, that was typical Sandra. I mean, I, I have a mouth on, I am a Hispanic woman with, you know, I, I speak my mind. I have no problem telling people what I think, but I think what I learned is how do I word things correctly or how do I make my actions so that the right people don't fall blind? Like, I don't, I don't want it to fall on deaf ears. If I, the way that I come across or the way that I word something or the way that I say something or the way that I act about something is going to send a message, you know? So I've got to make sure that I don't send a message that misrepresents what I'm thinking or people are just going to shut down. So whether it's, you know, you, you just learn with time and it is an art how to say things or how to react to things so that your actions and your words don't fall on deaf ears. Because there are a lot of people out there that are much higher than you or I that have the power to make those decisions. The way that you come across to them and the way the way that they perceive your message, it, you know, it will make all the difference in the world. And remember, everybody's reality is their perception. You know, so if perception is reality, then how do you make sure that your message is um, is something that they are, they're able to perceive? But it, it's an art. It is hard. And, and I, I still am not great at it every day. But I know that when it comes to the big, important things, I know that I, I do take the time to really think about what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it or how I'm going to react to things. And then I guess as you grow in leadership, you start realizing I can say this around the, these people, but I can't around 
these others. I have to word it in a different way. And it's honestly, think about it like this. It's no different than talking to your grandma versus talking to your mom versus talking to your dad. It's no (laughs) different. You tailor your message depending on who you're talking to. You know, grandma's going to let me get away with murder. Mom, not so much. And in in a Mexican household, your dad ain't going to let you get away with nothing. You know, so you kind of figure out how to tailor your message to the right people. And it's not it's not a skill that, you know, you've always had it. You just have to develop it now in a professional environment. That's my two cents. (laughs) That's a good way of looking at it. So uh, as we get ready to wrap up, I want to get ready to start a new school year. It's going to be a long school year. Uh, there are some teachers who listen to this and some students, actually, some of my former, some of my students listen also. Uh, so as we get ready to go into the next school year, what words of encouragement do you have knowing that it's going to be another intercession year? It's going to be another long year. Uh, what motivating positive words of encouragement do you have for the staff and students coming up? Yeah, I, I think that for teachers specifically, Number one, I think that you need to prioritize yourselves. You know, I think that we need to set healthy. Okay. So I am the worst at overworking. And through COVID, I work nonstop, nonstop. There was no break time. So one of the things that I learned to do this year was to set, like actually schedule things out. So Every weekend, I made it a point that I would do something with my husband that was completely fun and completely nothing to do with nothing. So we went to like football games or we went to baseball games, we did whatever, you know, and it didn't even have to be anything like that. But I had to schedule it out and really make sure that I took time for me, you know, and that helped me be able to get through the year. So knowing that, you know, in October, I was going to go do this. Or in November, I was going to go do that. You know, I went to New York for just the fun of it one one particular month. But I, I did. I had to, I had, you, you just have to. In order for you not to burn out, you've got to set breaks, you know. So number one for teachers, just know that I'm here. I am total supportive of making sure that you take care of your well-being and that we're going to get through this. You know, we're going to get through the school year. And honestly, we've already been through... I believe, and I said this in 2019, I don't know anymore. I think we've already been through the hardest. The year coming back from COVID where every kid came back to school and we didn't know where they were, it's already happened. You know, so I, I do believe that we've already built on something that is great and um, and, and now we're just going to make it better. For students, I am super excited to join this ride. Uh, I am super duper excited about, you know, just getting to know kids at, at a different age level and just um, really taking part of of being on a different team. And I think for kids, like coming back to school and really finding a place where you fit, you know, whether it's basketball or football or cheerleading or, or whatever, you know, academics, whatever it is, like we need to find the fun back in our lives again, you know, Um we, we've just got to make sure that we, we make time for just living life and, and being a part of something that is fun to you and fun for you and just being a better person. I think we've learned so much through COVID and I am just ready for life to get back to, and I know it'll never go back 100% to normal, but I sure am looking forward to being around children and, and teachers that are all on the same you know, page and we all want what is best for everybody here. So I don't know if that's really encouraging, but I am excited. And I think that excitement and positivity is going to be what is uh, what brings us to the next level. So that's my two cents. Uh, Patrick, any words of encouragement? Man, I would say students are capable of more than we think for teachers. You know, trust them with more. Let them do more. That'll reduce some of the, uh, the stress on you. Mm-hmm. And then for students, man. Don't worry about being perfect. You're going to mess up. That's part of life. We all mess up. It's what do you learn from that mess up, right? What lessons do you learn from it? If you learn why you failed, you won't do it again. So just make sure you learn the why of your failure. Don't be concerned with the actual fail. I think I'm going to co-sign that and be okay with making mistakes. That's for teachers and students. It's okay to make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes and we all can learn from them. I think that is key. 
And specifically for teachers, don't be afraid to take a breath. It's okay. You can breathe. Like Ms. Barrios, I learned how to make like set time for myself, hard cutoffs and everything, make sure I have time to enjoy, especially now with the growing family. I definitely got to make that time before I go crazy. And um, get outside. Get outside. That's my, and that's for both. Get outside. And yeah, and um, Ms. Barrios, if you're interested, not to put you on the spot, but last year I tried to put together some teacher hikes. Wasn't very successful, uh, but I am going to start earlier this year, at least once a month, putting something together for teachers uh, starting in August, actually, when we really get back. So if you're interested. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. My Jack Lowe teachers are going to love that. Oh, good. I have I go, some real health freaks. Oh, good. Because I go I go more than once a month. I try to go. I probably go like, every weekend, to be honest. At least I have been this summer. Like I just did. Like I was telling Patrick earlier, I just did two back to back. Eagle Scholars, we had one on Friday. And then I just went again this morning at 630. It's just what I like to do. Outdoors are very important to me. So it's awesome. So with well, that I story, like massages and shopping. So if you'll also make some around that, that would be awesome. Oh, I try to plan <laughs> some shopping. It's just, so one thing I noticed last year, and I'll end on this, is that I, I, never, I can never pronounce this word, camaraderie, camaraderie. Uh, that's something that we had in the Marine Corps. Uh, in Marine Corps, we did everything. Like we were, and Patrick was in the Air Force, but we did everything together. We were like, we lived together, we worked together, we played together, but we did a lot together, but that made our cohesion perfect. That's how we get to work as a unit. And so one thing that I wanted to try to do this past year was try to fix that so the teachers could work together more as a unit. I kind of got started late, so it didn't have the results that I had hoped, but I am hoping that getting started in August of this year, building up to it, that we're able to um, get towards that. So yes, uh, massages, shopping, escape rooms, all that jazz, anything that gets us to work together outside of the school building to make it feel more like a family instead of just a workplace. I'm all for it. We did cooking classes. We did yoga. We did painting with a twist. We did, we did a lot. Like my teachers go like to Puerto Rico together, like on the summer, like they are like really close. That's what I'm trying. That's what yeah. I'm trying to get to. Like uh-huh. I'm losing my last teaching buddy. She's going to DC. So I'm like, I gotta find yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. don't, don't worry. Well, we'll, we'll get it there. We will. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you everyone for listening. And until next time, go enjoy some apples and coffee.